0: Well, good morning. Great to be here with you all. We're going to be in uh, 1 Peter again this morning, so if you want to go ahead and turn there to 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, We're going to cover verses 10 through 16 here in a bit um, as we talk about hopeful people and holy living. That's going to be our focus today. Um, But I was reading a story uh, the other day about a man uh, who approached a Little League baseball game, and he went up to this boy who was in the dugout. And he, he went up to him, and he said, boy, what's the, what's the score? And, and the boy responded, he said, 18 to nothing, we're behind. And the man, uh, he felt a little bad, right? He says, man, boy, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sure you feel a little discouraged right now. And the boy snapped back, he said, discouraged? Why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> and uh, I like that response because that's the attitude of hope, okay? <laughs> that's the attitude of hope. Circumstances don't look too good, but we're coming. We're coming. Uh, I was reading about a research study in the '90s uh, where some scientists wanted to study how hope related to endurance. And so, uh, what they did is they is they got some rats and they split them up into two groups. And with the first group of rats, uh, they put them into some water and they wanted to see how long they could swim until they died, which is kind of cruel. Um, but the results are intriguing, okay? And so this first group of rats, they let them sw- swim until they drowned to their death. They, they lasted about one hour. And then they did the same thing with the second group of rats. They put them in the water, but the only difference is every once in a while, they'd lift them up for a brief second and then put them back down. They'd give them a glimmer of hope. And what they noticed with these rats is they were able to swim for 24 more hours because of this glimmer of hope. Um, And so they figured out that a little hope goes a long way. And that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, because you won't persevere well in this life without hope. Um, Your outlook on life will absolutely determine your outcome. Uh, Your attitude will unquestionably determine your actions. And so we got to get this right. This is really important. Uh, Hope is crucial for like a healthy human existence. And it's also absolutely necessary if we're going to glorify God and endure well in this life. Because as believers in Christ, we've been called to live lives in a holy manner. But holy living is impossible apart from hope. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, But before we do, I'd love just to invite you uh, to pray with me. Um, because unless the spirit moves, I'm just going to preach some words and then we'll walk out of here unchanged. But if the spirit moves, it could change your life. So let's ask him to do that right now. And if you would, just silently, wherever you're at, if you're at home or if you're here in person, just pray, say, God, would you teach me through your scriptures? And then pray for me that I'd be bold and I'd communicate clearly. Well, Father, we give you this time; it's yours. Would you move through your Word? Would it change us? Let me pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, let's read First Peter one verses ten through sixteen. Uh, it says this: As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. As he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Amen. Well, let's take a step back and let's, let's remember where we are in the scriptures. And so we've got the apostle Peter, who's who's writing to believers who have been scattered all throughout Asia Minor because of persecution. And so these are hard times for people who wanted to follow Jesus. And so Peter reminds them in verses 3 through 9 not to lose heart because they had been chosen by God. He tells them, God has chosen you for this very moment. So be obedient. Trust him. God knows what he's doing. Um, I've noticed lately in in many Christian circles, uh, there's this pessimistic attitude everywhere. As we think about perhaps our kids that are going to be growing up in a society that doesn't have biblical virtues, and and I get it. Um, I have similar thoughts about my girls as I think about the pressures and the issues that they may face growing up as a child that I didn't have to go through, and I can be tempted to get angry. Or I can be tempted to get depressed when I think about that stuff. But I want you to to listen and think about how Peter encourages these believers. He says, listen, I know things are hard. I know things are uncertain. I know it's hard to see the purpose of your present suffering. But he says, believe me, your current trials will not be able to, to compare to the future glory that we have in Christ Jesus. So don't keep your heads down. God is not surprised by what you're going through. He's not surprised that your kids were born at the time that they were born. He chose them for this moment. He's not scratching his head, wondering what's going on. No, everything is going according to plan because our God is sovereign. And as Roger talked about last week, he is sanctifying us. He's refining us. But better days are coming. Salvation is on the horizon. That's really what verses 3 through 9 is about. And so the question becomes, well, well, how do we go forward as we encounter trials, suffering, and persecution? Like, how do we keep going? How, how, how do we go about living in a hostile world that is against us? Like, what does that look like? Well, look at verse 9, because Peter gives us the answer, and then he elaborates on it in verses 10 through 16. He says, the way you go forward is by focusing on your salvation, he says, that's how you get through hard times. That's how you persevere. That's how you keep going. You focus on your salvation. This word salvation is one of the most beautiful words in the Christian language. And it's a major concept for Peter as he encourages believers in Christ to persevere. He says, consider deeply your salvation. Actively think about the path you are on before God intervened in your life. He says, think about where you were heading before God stepped in. Because the scriptures are crystal clear. The path that everybody was on before God intervened was not good. Every single person that has ever lived besides Jesus has been tainted by sin. And we naturally choose to go against the will of god and the reason that we do so is because it's in our very nature no one had to teach us how to sin we sin because we're sinners Um, my mom and dad never taught me how to lie never needed to learn that never took a class in that i lied because i was born a liar it's part of my nature And that's what the Bible affirms. No matter how you were raised, whether you had good parents, bad parents, whether you had a really privileged background or really broken background, all of us are in the same boat. You are by nature a sinful person and you will sin because that's who you are. That's what the Bible says. And some of you are like, preacher, calm down. We ain't ain't that bad. Like, chill out a little bit. Listen, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm just repeating to you what the Scriptures tell us. So let's read what the Apostle Paul says. He puts it gently this way in Ephesians 2. He says, all of us were by nature children of wrath, bound for destruction. That's what Paul says. He says, that's who we were. That's where we were heading. Because of our nature, because of our sin, we are heading towards destruction, eternal separation from God. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. When people sin, the natural ramification is death. You can say, well, I don't like that. Well, that's what God says. He says, I'm the author of life. You go away from me, there's only one option. You're gonna die and you'll be away from me. And that's where everybody is heading. Humanity desperately needs salvation because the Bible says we can't save ourselves. We don't have what it takes, no amount of good deeds, no amount of prayers, no amount of good works will ever justify us. We can't fix ourselves. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. You've tried to fix yourself, and it's not possible. And especially when it comes to being justified before a holy and perfect God who is just to deal with sin. We can't fix ourselves. We have a divine problem that needs a divine solution. We need God to save us, for he's the only one who can. And the, the beautiful thing about God is it's in his very nature to do so. While it's in our nature to sin, praise be to it God, it's in his nature to save. He's a saving God. That's who he is. Isaiah forty-three eleven proclaims, I, only I am the Lord, and there is no savior besides me. Psalm 3, 8 declares salvation belongs to the Lord. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God saw the path that we were on and he intervened because our God loves sinners and it's in his nature to save. Um, I remember when I was a young kid, uh, my dad uh, would often drive up to the promised land, College Station, Texas, um, in order to uh, watch an AM football game and then his dad, my granddad, uh, would do the same thing, except he would, he would fly with a couple buddies of his on a small one-engine plane into College Station. So you can see like this sin curse started, granddad, dad, now me, okay? Um, and anyway, so this one game, my, my dad, he went up there, drove up there. And after the game, uh, my granddad called him and said, hey, we've got an extra seat on the plane if you want to get back a little quicker. And my dad had done that numerous times before. And he says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let me call my wife. And so he called my mom, and he said, Hey, honey, I'm going to be home in a little bit quicker, because I'm going to get on the plane with my dad. And my mom, for whatever reason, she responded to my dad. She was like, You know what? I, I don't have a good feeling about this. I don't want you to get on the plane. I want you to drive back. And my dad was like, Well, come on. Like, this, is, this makes sense. I've done this before. And she was like, No, like, you're not getting on that plane. She was adamant. Um, and a lot of you husbands know, that like when a woman really gets something on her mind, you can't change it, okay? And this is one of those moments. And so my dad surrendered, and he decided not to get on the plane. And then fast forward a few hours, um, as my dad's driving back, he gets a phone call that for whatever reason, the plane crashed soon after takeoff into the woods. And the person that was sitting in a seat which would have been near where my dad was sitting, ended up losing his life. Uh, Don't tell me that God doesn't move in some really profound days, profound ways right now, And so my mom, praise be to God, he used her in order to keep my dad from going down the path that he was on, which ultimately probably saved his life. And the Bible says that all of us were boarding a plane called sin, and we were heading towards destruction called hell. That was our future. That was our destiny. Yet God, being rich in mercy, demonstrated his love by sending his son, who would stand in the gap for us, intervene on our behalf, and saving us from the natural consequences that lie ahead. And not only did God intervene and save us from destruction— but instead, he said, hey, I'm going to save you from destruction, and I'm actually going to give you a glorious inheritance with me. That's salvation. God saw the path where we you're on. He says, nope, I'm, I'm stepping in. I'm not going to let you go that way. And instead, grants us a glorious inheritance. And what Peter is instructing believers to focus on, he says, when life is hard, when nothing seems to be going right, when you're experiencing adversity, think deeply about the blessing of your salvation. And know that your salvation can never, ever be taken away. No matter what trials you may encounter, no matter what you go through in this life, your glorious inheritance that is stored up for you cannot be destroyed. And that's what lies ahead for the believer, if you have faith. Peter says, get your mind on that. Think about your salvation often, and it'll get you through any and every trial in this life. And then Peter tells them, he says, As you strive towards inheriting this salvation, have confidence because the prophets predicted these days would come and the angels are watching you with amazement. That's verses 10 through 12. He says, The prophets understood and knew that we needed redemption. They knew that redemption would come and they knew that God would provide a redeemer. And these prophets in the Old Testament also knew that God was gracious. Even though we're sinners, God was gracious. Uh, The prophet Jonah is a perfect example of this. You get to Jonah chapter 4, Jonah's up on a hill, hoping that the Ninevites are going to burn because of their sin. And then God gives them grace, he doesn't give them that which they deserve. And Jonah gets all upset. And he says, God, I knew it. I knew you were a gracious God who always and continues to give that which we don't deserve. He was mad about it. He understood grace. But they also know, these these prophets, they also knew that that suffering would somehow be tied into salvation. Suffering was, was part of the process. They had passages like Isaiah 53 Where it talked about this Messiah who would come and be pierced for our transgressions. This Messiah would would suffer. And they also had passages like Daniel 9, where they knew there'd be times in the future where God's people would experience suffering, but ultimately glory in salvation. Somehow, suffering and salvation go together and they will work out for good. That's what the prophets predicted. And the reason that they were able to know all this was because it was God himself through the spirit of Christ who was making himself known through them. It was Jesus through the Holy Spirit who was speaking through these prophets who recorded exactly what he wanted them to record. Uh, Peter will actually play this out more in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, if you want to check it out sometime. Uh, but he says there, he says, but know this first of all, That no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. But no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's why we have so much confidence in the scriptures. Because these prophets who are writing these things were not religious geniuses. They weren't wackos. They were just people who God chose in order to record exactly what he wanted them to record. And that's why here at Wayside Chapel, we are a church that is rooted in the word. We're going to get in this thing because it wasn't just written by human authors. It was written by human authors who were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they recorded perfectly what God wanted them to record. If you haven't read it, you should try it out. It's life-changing. And they predicted That this salvation that you and I have received in Christ would come to you just as it has. So do not be disheartened by suffering. Everything is going according to plan. And then I love this. Peter says, oh, and by the way, be encouraged. Because as the gospel is being revealed to you, the angels are watching with amazement. He says, the angels long to look at the things you are experiencing. Uh, Which brings up the question, like, why would angels care so much about what we're going through? Well, because they've always been involved. Um, If you go and read the New Testament, you'll see that the demons, when they see Jesus, they know exactly who he is, and they fall on their face. Uh, The angels announced his coming. Uh, It was the angels who ministered to Jesus during his temptation. It was the angels who were present After Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, they've been a part of the whole process. But even though the angels have been a part of the whole process, as Ephesians 3.10 points out, they too are still learning about the manifold wisdom of God that is being revealed before their very eyes as God builds up his church here on earth. Luke 15.10 says that, that angels rejoice every time a sinner is converted. I'm sure they're sitting around watching in amazement. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like Bob got saved? That guy? We've seen Bob. We know what he does. And God saved him. Okay? And they're just, their mind is blown. <laughs> like you've got to be kidding. And they rejoice and they worship as they watch all of this. So Peter encourages believers in Christ. He says, take heart. The prophets predicted these days would come that suffering would somehow be tied into salvation and God is sovereign, it's all going according to plan. And he says, and also be encouraged because angels are all around you and they're watching in amazement as they see God moving in and through you. But Peter changes gears in verse 13, which I really think is, is the main focus of the passage. So if you kind of zoned out, come back, okay, come back here. And pay attention to verse 13. Okay, you'll notice there's there's a definite shift in Peter's thought in verse 13. Up until this point, Peter has been stating facts, but now he's going to start making commands. Salvation has been described, and now he's going to talk about the duty we have as Christians to live out our faith. So essentially. Uh, Peter says, I've just given you the proper perspective on salvation, and now I'm going to tell you how to live. So take a look at verse 13. The main verb of this verse is fix your hope. Peter says, if you want to endure well for Christ, if you want to push through hard times for God's glory and your good, then fix your hope. So briefly, let's talk about that. What is hope? Uh, Because as we talked about earlier, You won't persevere well in this life without it. It's absolutely necessary for a healthy human existence. And it's crucial if we're going to glorify God and live lives that mean something. So what is it? Well, I love the way that the Bible project puts it. And they say this, biblical hope is different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope isn't focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, but you choose to hope anyway. And that's because biblical hope is focused on the future. I love the way Warren Worsby puts it. He says, as Christians, we are called to live in the future tense. Our present actions and decisions are governed by this future hope. Um, I remember when I was engaged to Rachel, uh, one of my pastors in college uh, jokingly referred to engagement as purgatory Um, because you're in like this waiting stage. Um, You're talking about marriage. You're thinking about marriage. You're preparing for marriage. You get to try the cake that you're gonna eat, but you don't really get to experience the privileges of marriage. So it can be kind of a tough season. And I've talked to a lot of engaged couples and sometimes they start going through the season and the wedding's six months away and they're like, forget it, let's just elope, okay? Like, this is tough. Um, but engagement can be a really intentional season. As you, as you think of ways to build your marriage according to biblical principles. And the reason you persevere in that season is because your hope is fixed on that wedding day. And it, it motivates you to keep going really, uh, faith and hope are, are two sides of the same coin. I love the way John MacArthur puts it. He says this, faith believes what God has said, what God has done, and hope believes what God has promised but yet to do. In a sense, faith then is trusting God for the present. Hope is trusting God for the future, but both are trusting God. To put it another way, faith accepts, hope expects. Faith believes what Believes God for what he has done. And hope believes God for what he will do. So when we fix our hope on what's to come, we glorify God because it expresses faith in him. As we fix our hope, we are making a conscious decision to say, God, I trust you. I, I believe in your promises. I believe you're going to do what you said you're going to do. I don't get it as I look at the circumstances, but I'm going to trust you anyway because you've been faithful in the past. And that gives me hope that you're going to be faithful in the future. And so you keep going. And what God has promised us is that one day he is going to return and he is going to make all things right. And that's our focus as we fix our hope. We live in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But notice it says this in verse 13. It says, fix your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus returns. This is really important. What what Jesus is saying, he says, hey, when I return, when Jesus returns, he brings something with him, something that he desires to give to you if you have faith in him. He brings with him grace. When Jesus comes back, when he restores your soul one day, when he cleanses you of all your filth and all of your sinfulness, when he removes all of the doubt that you struggle with and the anxiety that burdens you, when he gets rid of all of the injustice that happens in our culture, when he does all of that, he will do this because of grace. Because of grace. Not because you are an awesome person. Not because you did everything the right way. No, when he comes, when he grants you salvation, he grants it because of grace. Because of grace. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I was like eight years old, I remember going to the neighborhood pool. And, uh, and at the pool, there was this concession stand. And at the concession stand was this big jar of Sour Punch straws, Okay? Um, If you don't know what sour punch straws are, like, Google them, okay? Um, I I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse because they're horrible for you, but they taste amazing. Um, But anyways, there's this big jar of sour punch straws, and I had 50 cents. And so I went up to the lifeguard who's in the concession stand. I said, hey, how many sour punch straws can I get with this 50 cents? And then he asked me, he said, well, how many do you want? I was like, no, like, I've got 50 cents. And I just want you to tell me how many I can get with this 50 cents. And he's like, no, man, just tell me how many you want. I was like, listen, I know I'm eight years old, but I don't think what I'm asking is all that hard. I've got 50 cents. Just give me what I can pay for. And he says, no, man. He said, keep your change. And he reached into this jar and he grabbed a big old mound of Sour Punch straws, okay? And he just laid it before me, right? And and I remember as an eight-year-old kid just, just looking at that mound, and I was just befuddled. I couldn't get my mind around it. I was like, this dude gave me more than I asked for. And I didn't pay for a single thing. That's grace. (laughs) That's grace. I won't be eating sour punch straws in the new kingdom. Okay. But if you can wrap your mind around grace, then you don't understand it. And that's why the angels watch us in awe. They can't get their heads around it. It's mind boggling. It's unbelievable that God would take a wretched sinner like me and grant me eternal life with him. It's astonishing. It's crazy. It's grace. It's grace. It's eternally more than I will ever deserve. And Peter says that's how you endure through hard times. You focus on the grace that you've been granted through Jesus Christ. You think about the glorious grace that is to come. And as you do so, you'll come to realize that the suffering that you're going through right now will not compare to the glorious inheritance and the grace that's to come. So the question becomes, well, like, how do I do that well? Like, how do I... Fix my hope completely on grace. What does it look like to, to live in that manner? Well, Peter tells us, he says, you do so by preparing your mind for action and by keeping sober in spirit. This word, prepare your mind, can also be translated, gird your loins, which sounds kind of weird, okay? But, but it makes sense to the culture he was speaking to, okay? Because in those days, men and women they, they wore these kind of long, flowy robes. And if you wanted to move in a hurry, you would gird up your loins. You, you would tie them up. It's this thought of tying up that which is loose. If you go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, you don't have to do it now. But you'll see there as God is preparing the Israelites, he's leading them out of slavery. He's going he's gonna to lead them to the promised land. So he's getting them out of Egypt. Egypt. And so the Passover is happening and God says to them in Exodus twelve eleven, he says, now you sh- shall eat in this manner with your loins girded and your sandals on your feet. In other words, God told them, he says, be ready to move, be ready to go. You're eating, you're in the present, but your staff is in your hand, your sandals on your feet, your loins are girded, you're ready to roll. You're just waiting for the Lord to move. If you watch uh, dancers before a play, or if you watch some football players before a game, or some soldiers before a battle, or a preacher before he preaches, they got their game face on, right? They're ready, they're focused. And that's what's going on here. There's this sense of urgency. God's saying, Get your game face on. Look at my word, take it seriously. And walk accordingly. Be ready. Because I'm coming, church. Oh, I'm coming. Are you ready? If he comes, if he came today, would you be ready? Or would that intrude on some of the plans that you've made? Come, Lord Jesus. We need you. We need you. So practically speaking, what does that look like? Like, how do we put our Christian game face on? What does it look like to gird our loins and to prepare our mind for action? Well, Peter is actually really logical. He just builds off of his arguments. He's not like Paul. Paul's like this when he talks. Okay, Peter's very, he just builds. And so he says in verses 14 through 16, he says, "As, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. How do you prepare your mind for action? How do you focus on the hope, on the grace to come? Well, Peter tells us by walking in holiness, by walking in holiness. This word holy literally means to be set apart, to be different as Christ followers, we're not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to act differently. I remember uh, right out of college, I, I substitute taught at this school in Bryan, Texas. And uh, substitute teaching, is kind of a tough gig, right? You just show up, they throw you in a classroom and they say, good luck. <laughs> and then you got to babysit some kids for eight hours, hoping there's a plan. Um, and I remember after this one tough day, uh, this, this girl came up to me and she said, hey, teacher, Are you a Christian? I just smiled. I said, Yeah, I'm a Christian. And she said, I could tell. You act differently. Now, I'm sure there are other days where I acted just like every other substitute teacher. (laughs) But as Christ followers, that's how we're supposed to live. We should live in a way that looks different to the world by the way that we love, by the way that we serve, by the way that we disagree by the way that we get angry, by the way that we express ourselves. We should look different. That's what it means to be holy. Because as believers in Christ, we have a new master, obedience. That's the image we bear. As children, we now want to walk in obedience. Disobedience used to be our parent. That used to be our nature completely. But once Christ redeemed us by his blood, he says, you've got a new master now. An obedient one, and you walk in my footsteps. Now that doesn't mean that we live perfect lives, but what that does mean is we have a perfect example, Jesus, and we now, by his grace, through his spirit, through the community, through his word, we are seeking to live in his ways. And when we screw up, we repent and we turn back because that's what we've been called to. And one of the intentional ways we do that as Christians is by actively fighting against our sin desires, by refusing to give in to these former lusts, these evil longings, these selfish impulses, these former lusts that used to define us, we now wage war against them as we align ourselves with God. Um, in verse 13, Peter says, be sober in spirit. To be sober just means to be alert, to be aware. He'll say later, and we'll preach about it in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, you have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a Roaring, lying, seeking someone to devour. Church, if I told you, if I told you, hey, um, there's a lion following you, you would walk differently. Well, hey, church, there's a lion following you, and his name is Satan, and he wants to devour you, especially if you wear that badge of Christ. He doesn't like that. You have waged war against him, and he is after you. I don't know if you've ever watched Animal Planet, okay? but whenever you watch some lions hunting, who do they go after? They go after that one unaware gazelle who's away from the herd just standing here like this. And as you watch, you're like, that gazelle about to die. okay? He's about to die. He ain't thinking right. He's not focused, and he's away from the herd. Um, listen, that, that's when Satan attacks, when you're vulnerable, when you're not focused, when you're not thinking right. And when you're away from community. For some of you, that's you right now. Maybe you come to church, but you're not really a part of the church. You won't have people around you. You're not focused, you're not thinking right. And you're experiencing the temptations and you're giving into it. You can't win by yourself. That's not how we were made. You got to fix your hope, you got to prepare your mind, and you got to do it in community. We'll help you with that. I remember a few years ago, I'm going to end with this. Um, I was at a bachelor party. And it was a typical bachelor party, but it didn't get too wild because they knew I was a pastor. Okay? And I remember late in the night, this guy came up to me randomly and he said, hey pastor, I'm struggling with pornography. I've tried to kick it, I don't know how. I need some help. About an hour later, two other guys came up to me and they said, Pastor, I'm struggling with pornography. I've tried to kick it. I don't know how. I need some help. So after the wedding, we started a Bible study in order to address their sexual sin. And I watched these young men learn how to fight and become warriors for God. As they started calling each other daily, they were holding each other accountable, striving to lay aside their former lust so that they could fix their hope completely on the grace to come. God's calling some of you to do that today. He's calling you. He's calling you to repent, to turn to him. But you got to make a choice and you got to walk in faith. You got to prepare your mind and then get a community around you that'll walk with you. It's available, but you got to seek it out. You play a part in repentance. And some of you are here and you don't even know Jesus. You're like, I just been playing the game or I don't even know why I'm here. You can't fix yourself. You need Christ. Will you turn to him? Will you believe in him? There's grace for you. How do we endure hard times? By remembering our salvation. By fixing our hope completely on the grace to come when Jesus returns. By making present decisions that are rooted in our future glory. By putting our game face on. Preparing our mind for action. By pursuing holiness. Fighting off our former lust. Doing so in community so that we can imitate and glorify the one the perfect one who goes before us. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I know your word goes out and when it goes out, it doesn't come back void. And I don't know who needed to hear this message today, who needed to hear these verses, but God, I pray that you would impress on them right now to walk in your ways, to repent, to run to you. God, all of us as a church, we pray for those people right now. God, would you help them to run? Would you help them to chase after you, to have courage, to know that you'll give them grace? When you convict, it's never to shame. You convict in order to set free. Would you move through them, Lord? Would you move through all of us? We need you, God. These are hard times. We need your grace. Please, please come. Help us. We love you. We give you our lives. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're joining us online, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in again next week, but y'all have a blessed week.